Will you stand with me, please? I became pastor of this church in March of 1988. When that first Sunday was over, they gave me a little bag with some money in it. $79.86. I remember spreading it on the bed of the home we were renting. I said, God, this is not a lot of money. But I'm asking you to give me people with two qualities. I want people that are givers and I want people that are forgivers. And if you'll give me people with those two character qualities, I promise you that one day the effect of this church will be felt around the world. And that's where we are. I love you. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. This is a very, very special day. In just a few moments, we are going to dedicate the families of 11 children to the Lord. And I, I mean, we're, just, we're doing this every quarter now, and it's God is love, you know. God is love. Thank God. So we're grateful for every baby. I saw Kayla up here. I, I think two weeks she's going to have. I watch all these. You... You come here to prayer on Monday, and I'm going to tell you who's going to beat you to prayer, the Heskets. They're here before anybody else. And they've got these young children. Now she's carrying a new one. They have the perfect legitimate excuse. I don't think I'll make it today, Pastor. Good luck trying to. Them people are just here. There are multiple people in this room right now that have one, not wonderful, but they have valid reasons not to be here. But bring your problems to church, ladies and gentlemen. Bring your sicknesses. Bring your problems and your worries to church. And uh, this is Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 5. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I don't want to just preach to you today. I'd like to minister on something simply entitled the revelation of the increase. The revelation of the increase. God bless you. You may be seated. The world received a wake-up call this week. I have heard it referred to as Israel's 9-11 wrong. What happened in Israel this week is on a completely different plane. If you're a lover and a believer in the word, Israel and specifically Jerusalem one day will be the capital of the world. It is the epicenter spiritual epicenter of this world. 
I, I gain inspiration from so many different sources. I remember seeing a, a movie years ago with this guy named Mel Gibson. Braveheart, it was called. And I don't know how other people have envisioned it, but this is me because I'm weird. When I saw that, it was really the first time I could envision just how ugly those battles were in the Old Testament. I'd never really been able to wrap my mind around just how bloody the hand-to-hand combat was with no, no guns but swords and just <sighs> Bible talks about something like that. Every every battle, just confused noise, garments rolled in blood. To this day, the bloodiest day in the history of America is known as the Battle of Antietam. September of 1862. It's Still to this day, the bloodiest day in our nation's history. In four hours, 23,000 men died. And in most battles, these are for one nation and the enemies for another nation. But on that day, everybody that died was an American. Matthew Brady, who is considered the most famous photographer in the Civil War, Very sad because Matthew Brady died bankrupt and many of his negatives were on glass and they put glass in buildings that the sun just washed them out. Most of Matthew Brady's work was just lost in the sunshine. But there's enough that's remained that if you are any cursory student of the Old Testament, or not the Old Testament, but of the Civil War. Matthew Brady said that when he went to Antietam, as far as he could see, he could walk in any direction and not touch the ground. He would be standing on another dead body. 23,000 plus men died. I can't imagine what that day was like I've had some episodes in my life. I, I, I remember I was the first on the scene many years ago at a plane crash. I saw things that day that I'm not going to tell you what I saw. I'm 66 years old, but I, I won't ever get those images out of my mind. That was just one episode. I can't imagine what it's like. Psychologists say that... Uh, The maximum amount of time that a soldier can be in battle is 30 days, but there were men in the Second War. They were in battle for over two years. They've got all kinds of different names for it, fatigue and on and on and those, but it's just there's been men for so long that have come back from war and they've never been the same, never been able to process that. Every battle with confused noise and garments that are just rolled in blood. There's a picture of Antietam because the bullets from those guns back then were so slow that now bullets, of course, very fast. Back then, 
they were very slow and it was just a solid ball of lead. And so when they hit you, the, the, the destruction, it's just couldn't fix those legs. All you could do is cut them off. I won't show you, but there is a very famous picture of what was going on behind the surgical tent at Antietam. There's a stack, a, a small mountain of boots with feet still in them because they didn't have any way to even deaden the pain for those men. They just cut them off. And a lot of times it wasn't the wound that killed you. It was the lack of care that you got after that. It's just horrible, horrible story. In the midst of all of this, something amazing. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I have a dear friend whose name is Art Wilson. He pastors the church in Romulus by the airport. Several years ago, a lady received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in his church. And he asked her, he said, uh, where do you live? And she said, you know, I, I live here in Romulus. Where do you work? She said, I work in New York City. And he said, uh, have you moved here from New York City? Or are you going to move from here? She said, no, no, I live here, but I work in New York City. She said, I leave every Monday and I come back every Thursday evening. In time, he began to understand and realize she worked at the United Nations. She came to her pastor and said, uh, would you be willing to teach a Bible study in the United Nations building in, United, in New York City? Art was stunned, really. But for several years now, he has faithfully gone to New York City twice a month. Very recently, Art Wilson was given full diplomatic status. He's just not some preacher wandering around in that building. When Art Wilson goes anywhere, nobody can open his suitcases. He is treated like a diplomat from any other nation. Now, after this time, I, don't, I, I won't say hundreds, but it's probably hundreds, dozens of People have been filled with the Holy Spirit in his meetings. You ever heard of Jonathan Kahn? Most people in church know about Jonathan Kahn. Jonathan Kahn was dying of throat cancer. I used to preach a lot in Sydney, Australia. I still have dear friends there. Very soon, a wonderful lady named Gina Gretsch will be back with us. Lee Stonking got off of a plane in the Sydney airport and had a heart attack and died. He was legally dead for over 45 minutes. But the church prayed and God gave life back to Lee Stonking. Because of his association with Art Wilson, there it is. Art Wilson invited Lee Stone King to speak before the General Council of the United Nations. Lee Stone King told an amazing story. He said, when Paul got in front of Agrippa, you've got to understand Paul has been educated by Gamaliel, 
the foremost theologian of his day. But when Paul got in front of a king by the name of Agrippa, instead of dipping his tongue in a rainbow and trying to wow the people with his preaching, he said, I was riding on a horse one day and something brighter than the sun knocked me off of that horse. And I said, who in the world are you? And he said, you're persecuting me. He said, no, I'm not. I'm throwing these stupid Christians in jail. But what Saul of Tarsus did not understand is when you touch the church, you're touching his body. And he took it real personal. Lee Stone King stood in front of the general committee, United Nations, and he said, I'm not going to try and impress you with a fancy sermon. He said, I give you Jesus. I offer you Jesus. I asked them, how many nations was it translated into? Art Wilson asked that question. He said, Reverend Wilson, to our knowledge, it was translated into every known language and dialect in the earth today. As far as I'm concerned, it is the first time the gospel has been preached to the world. I'm not saying everybody in the world heard it, but it is the first time to my knowledge it was placed on a world stage. I asked Art Wilson, he said, I'm, you've asked so many times, come to New York City with me, Brother Hoffman, and I, I haven't gone yet. He said, Brother Hoffman, in the United Nations building, there is a map that shows where we started, and he said, it goes to the year of 2030. And he said, I asked the Secretary General, what comes after 2030? And he said, we have seven years, Art. And he said, at the end of that seven-year time, the government of this world will be reimagined and restructured. And on the wall today of the United Nations building, there are no plans past the year 2030. I'm not telling you that everything's going to stop But what I am telling you is that if you're a student of prophecy, there is something known as the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. Unfortunately, when we hear the word week, we just think seven days. But the word week in Hebrew literally means seven. Seventy sevens. And it said 69 weeks are determined until Messiah comes. I'll give you the cliff notes You can proof text me after church if you want to. A Bible year is 360 days, not 365 days, 360 days. When Daniel gave this prophecy, he said, from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah comes will be 69 weeks. So you've got 69 weeks, 69 sevens. So you take 69 times 7 and then you multiply it times 360. You will come up with the amazing number of 173,880 days. This is not just Bible, but it is historical fact 
of when Cyrus, the king of Babylon, gave the decree to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. If you number from that day that Cyrus made that decree for Daniel, and you count 173,880 days, you will come to a day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, if you just knew what today is, if you just knew, they had no clue what he was talking about. I've heard these stories all my life. I was raised in church. The crazy thing is that some of these things that seem so insane when I was a kid, now it's reasonable. I went to a seminar in this city of Chase Bank several years ago. And the speaker said, we have now devised a system where we can catalog the population of the world. And we can do it through a series, three series of six numbers. (laughs) He said, there are enough multiple in series, three series of six numbers. We can catalog the world. And I'm sitting there going, holy smokes. Been hearing this stuff all my life. I was in the military or I was involved with the military in Japan. I was a civilian, of course, but I found that, that they experiment on the military before they experiment on us. My wife and I were in Okinawa. You're talking an island 62 miles long and about 14 miles wide. Every vehicle. I'm talking 1990, 1991. Every vehicle on Okinawa was brown. It was brown. Their shoes were brown, suede. Their uniforms were all brown. And I'm going, we're on an island of jungles. How come everything's brown? So I met the lieutenant commander of one of the marine bases there. And he said this to me. We all know that the next great battles will be fought in desert countries not in jungles. And so we've painted everything brown. And all of these things that I had heard since I was a kid, they're not just zephyrs now. They're not just fantasies. It's real. It's real. It is my personal belief that something happened this week. I am personally convinced that what's going on in Israel right now is going to snowball and it's not going to stay like it is. You can say I'm crazy. I don't care. I have a story in the Bible of ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. Five of them didn't have any oil and five of them did, but they were all asleep. But somebody, and it wasn't the bridegroom, and it sure wasn't one of them virgins. Somebody started screaming, the bridegroom's coming. The bridegroom's coming. And you better get ready to meet him. I'm 66 years old right now. My eyes don't work as good as they do. I've got a goofy leg. Things wear out. 
I was lazy. I left the prophecy to a couple guys. They were the prophecy guys. I preached other stuff. One third of that Bible was prophecy. One third of it. And what I did is I took the easy way out and I preached all the other stuff, but I never got involved with prophecy. And so I repent before the Lord of my laziness with that thing. But I'm going to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, right to your kisser. The day of playing games is over. Do you know that you can take a frog and put him in water and just slowly turn up the heat and you can boil that sucker to death and he won't jump out of that water? I think that's where the world is. I think that's where the church is. I think this thing's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and we're just getting used to it. And we just keep butchering time until there's no time left. But I'm telling you, Jesus said in a day, my wife and I traveled, we had this trailer. It was 36 feet long. We were in Arkansas. Had a bedroom, bathroom, door. Go out through the door, you come to the kitchen, living room. My wife woke me up. There's somebody in our trailer. And I said, baby, nobody could get in our trailer. The door had double deadbolts and had a little window on it. There was just no way you could get through the door. And then I heard it. I always had a gun. I'm a hillbilly kid, so I love guns. So I pulled my gun out from underneath my bed and I went through the door. And there was a man there prying my stereo out of my wall. While we slept... He literally ripped the window out of our trailer. He knew he couldn't get through the door, so he ripped the window out of the trailer. I slept through all of that. I put my little gun up beside of his head, and I said, I really think you should leave now. He dove through the window. The next day, I found footprints on the hood of my truck, where he had stood on the hood of my truck, and he knew my wife and I were in there sleeping but he still tried to break in and did break in. Jesus said, in an hour that you think not, I'm coming. I'm coming. And there's so many things I could say right now, but I got to be brief with my comments. Bible said the queen of the south is going to rise against this generation because she journeyed to hear the wisdom of Solomon and a greater than Solomon is here. This woman rode on the back of, I'm not, I'm not talking a Learjet, I'm not talking a G5, we're, we're not talking some, some, some luxury vehicle or a, a yacht. This woman rode on the back of an animal for 1,500 miles to get the answer to a riddle. And the Bible said there's going to be judgment. And you're going to stand before the Lord. And all of a sudden, this woman is going to come through a door. You're not going to recognize her. She's going to be dressed strangely. The Bible said, Jesus said this. The queen of the south is going to rise against this generation. Because she journeyed to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 
and I'm here now. And what he was saying is this woman went 1,500 miles to get the answer to a riddle. And people won't walk across the street to go to church. And he said, I'm not going to forget that. And so this is a very sober message. But if your faith is in the political world, good luck. Good luck. I... I, I saw a documentary of a man who devoted basically most of his career to getting Osama bin Laden. And he got him, and he got his second in command. The guy that took their place was in Afghanistan, and he, I, heard the, I heard the call that he made to the man. He found out his number, and he gave him a call, and he said, the good news is you're number three in Al-Qaeda. He said, now the bad news is you're number three in Al-Qaeda. And he said, brother, I promise you, I found your boss and I found his secretary and I'm going to find you. And I just, and then he said this, all I can say to you, brother, is you better button your chin strap because your career is going to be one bumpy ride. And at the end of the road, I'm going to find you. And I'm going to destroy you. And I was in West Virginia, not long. It's where I was raised. I took my mother with me. There was someone there who hated Donald Trump. I mean, hated him. And as soon as they wanted to talk to me, they went into that old diatribe about how stupid he was. And on and on and on. And I said, Let me explain something to you right now. The Bible said promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. And I don't care if you're a Donald Trump Trump fan or you hate him. I don't care if you're a Job. I want you to understand something right now. The Lord is the puppet master of the universe. You understand that? And the Bible said God sets up people and God takes people down. Because if your confidence is in the political arena of this world, you better button your chin strap. Because this is going to be one very bumpy ride. But this is what the word says. Bible said he's prince of peace. That's what it says, okay, prince of peace. But then it says this, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So here's the deal. To many people, Jesus is prince I'm telling you, a prince has no power. A prince can't do anything. You've got to turn Jesus from prince to king. You got to put him on the throne. Okay? If you let his government in your life increase, his peace in your, not your, his peace in your life will increase. And ladies and gentlemen, if that isn't a message that this world better listen to right now, I don't know what else to say to you. Because we're fixing to dedicate 11 children right now. And I want you to understand something. Most of them are just infants. And they don't have a clue what we're about to say. And I've heard it for a year. We're going to dedicate babies. We're going to christen the babies. What a dumb bunch of hillbillies that is.
We're not here to dedicate children today. We're here to dedicate dad and mom and grandpa and grandma and nieces and nephews and people in this church and the preacher. Because most of these kids haven't got a clue what we're about to do. But dear God, please help us as a family for you to live in such a way that that child will live for God during their life. That this church, my dad, something that said, my dad said this to me before he died. Harold, we make such a big deal about when somebody gets baptized and when somebody gets the Holy Ghost or when somebody gets healed. He said, you know what, Harold? It ought to be a big deal when somebody doesn't get healed. It ought to be a big deal when somebody doesn't get the Holy Ghost. Being filled with the Spirit ought to be as natural as breathing. People getting baptized, people being prayed for, people, it ought to astound us when somebody doesn't get healed, when somebody isn't filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where we are right now. So I invite these parents and these children, would you please come up here? This is, this is just an amazing day. It's an amazing day. I, uh, I had a man call me this past week. He said, we, I want to thank you for your friendship here. You just can't make old friends, okay? It's just time. It's just time. I, I, I've been privileged to call, be called the pastor of this church for a long time. One of the great beauties of pastoring a church for a long tenure is you dedicate the babies and you bury grandpa and you bury grandma. And you, you, just, you live life with people. And when I came here, I had a lot of hair and I didn't have as many pounds around my midriff right now as I have. I could see a lot better. I've grown old with you. But for the rest of my days, I'm going to, God help me to do the best I can. Somebody, somebody started screaming, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. I don't care what, you, I'm not saying what you did yesterday was right or wrong. I'm not here to pass judgment on your yesterdays. But I'm, don't just hear me, feel me right now. Games are over. All this stupid stuff that we've been fighting about, it's, it's wasted energy. I want you to grow. I want his government over you to increase. I don't want him to be the prince. I want him to be the king in my life. Because if you will increase his authority over your life, his peace is in direct proportion to how much of your life you're allowing him to control. Will you stand with me? Will you stand with me? If you're a grandfather, a grandmother, would you please come? Amen. By your children, by your grandchildren. If you're an aunt, you're an uncle. Amen. If you've had relationships, friendships, ties with these, fine. I'm asking our church ministry staff to come up here right now. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And for God's sakes, if you ever got anointed, get anointed now. Okay? So let's bow your head. Is it, are they all here? I'm sorry, I don't want to start. We got everybody here? Brother Michael, you think we're... Look at this, man. Holy smokes, this is great. Man. <laughs> Jesus' name. Lord Jesus. <laughs> I pray for this preacher right now. 
I don't want these kids raised in a church where the preacher is not consecrated. I don't want these kids to ever, ever ask, why doesn't Pastor and Sister Hoffman live together anymore? Whatever happened to Ashley's daddy? I've asked this for years and I'll ask it again today, Lord, you take me. If you see on my horizon, living a day that's gonna bring a question into the minds of these people here right now. I'd rather you take me right now than for me to live way too long and to lose it at the end. I'm in the last third of my life, Lord, and it may be even less than that. I can't afford the luxury of tripping up now. I'm asking you, God, to help me, please. Give me wisdom beyond my years. Give me the right words to say. Dear God, let these children be raised with a godly preacher, I, with a good marriage. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I ask you right now for these fathers, first of all. Dear God, give me godly daddies. Give me godly daddies. There's not a man here that's lazy. These men all work. They're all tithers. They're faithful people. But it's more than the roof they're going to put over this child's head. And this is much more than the food they're going to place on their table. These men have a duty and an obligation to be a godly, godly overseer and to be the priest of their home. Dear God, I pray for these moms. Oh, Jesus. Thank God for my godly mother. <laughs> Would I have made it without my godly mother? I don't know. I pray, Lord, for these women right now that you would be with them. I pray for them right now, Lord I pray for Grandpa and Grandma because according to the people that study this, if these kids have frequent access to their grandfather and their grandmother, they have more, they've got more authority and they're, they're more readily of watch than, than the dad and the mom. So I ask you, God, for grandpas and grandmas and possibly great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers. I'm asking you, God, to help us to not to botch this up now. But with our gray hair and our trifocals and our halting gait, God, I'm asking you right now. They're going to look around and they're going to find somebody that's lived a long time. So I want to be there for them. I know I look old to them and that's the legacy I have enjoyed for being able to live this long. But I'm asking you, God, right now to help grandmas and grandmas understand the power that they have right now. <laughs> I pray for aunts and uncles, godly friends. I pray for this church. Oh, Jesus, we dedicate this church to you. I don't want these kids to be raised in a carnal church to be raised in a prayerless church. I don't want these kids to be raised in a stingy, greedy church. I'm asking you, God. I want these kids to be raised in revival. I want them to be raised with a burden for the lost. I want them to have a bigger vision than just our own backyard. I'm asking you, God, that as a church family, we live our lives in such a way that these young people are going to be raised with people that know how to worship people that know how to give, with people that know how to forgive, people that understand what really matters. I pray for the staff around me. Oh, Jesus. I'm surrounded with such wonderful men and women, but I'm not just interested in ability. I'm after consecration. So from the pastor 
all the way through this thing, God, all the way through the staff, through every pew, every dad, every mom, every grandpa, every grandmother, every aunt, every uncle, every niece, every nephew. I'm asking you, God, we dedicate ourselves to you for these kids. And we refuse, we refuse to give these kids an example of greed. We refuse to give these kids an example of prayerless lives. We refuse to be powerless people. We invest ourselves in the kingdom for what's squirming in the arms of these moms right now. And as they grow, I want these kids to see people filled with your spirit all the time. I want them to see people baptized all the time. I want them to see people healed and mended and repaired all the time. I want that to be Time. And the thigh.